Well, good evening. What a great time of singing. Just lifts our spirits to lift our voices in song like this. Praise the Lord for it. Ecclesia, isn't that a good word? It comes to us from the Greek. It literally means called out ones. Actually came out of the uh, political realm when the folks of a particular city or area would be called out to a, a meeting to decide various things concerning their everyday lives in that city. And so the Lord Jesus used that word to describe to us what the church is. And it's truly a wonderful thing to realize we have been called out. Called out from the world. Called out from all of those things that uh, maybe controlled our lives before we were saved. He's called us out onto a very special relationship with him. Today's been a wonderful day for me. We had just a blessed time with Brother Andy this morning as he spoke to us like Pentecostals instead of the staid Dutch people. <laughs> but nevertheless, you were kind and gracious to him as he presented the word. I found Andy is a dynamic speaker. And you know, <clears throat> that's exactly the kind of man that God has used in Guyana. Our pastor, Chad, I found him to be a very uh, wonderful, intelligent, eloquent speaker presenting the word. And I found that Pastor Mike is just a sweet and humble man presenting the word in very practical terms right where we need them. And so I trust that I fall in, in there somewhere. <laughs> but we praise the Lord that we can just share the good things of the Lord with you tonight. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian believers to reveal to them the blessing that God has poured out on all of us for his wonderful new program. He would establish his church. And his church would be made up of the believers of all uh, from, from everywhere. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. It doesn't matter what you were saved from. It doesn't matter any of those things. What counts is that we have been placed into Christ, called out from this world, and we are his dear children. And you know what, dear friends, you and I are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's meant a lot to me in the last um, month, couple months. We've gone through a lot of sorrow, grief. We've gone through a lot of suffering, people with surgeries, people with hurts. And we've lost some of our folks. And you know, if it weren't for the church of God, what a, a unfortunate thing it would be to have to go through those things alone. Not really alone, we have the Lord with us. But I want you to know that you folks are the body of Christ. And we, together, can put our arms around one another and show the love of God to one another, encourage, uplift, strengthen the brethren. And that's what the church is all about. And so I'm so thankful for our church tonight. After hearing Andy this morning, I, uh, we took a drive out to South Boston. You know who was there? Andy. <laughs> but we had a wonderful time together as we sat down to a wonderful Thanksgiving turkey dinner. And I want to tell you what, that little, that little fellowship hall was packed with, with people. We got in early, so we got something to eat. I was told that the food almost ran out before the people did. But we had a wonderful time, and I was able to meet uh, Brother Vishal, who is Andy's uh, protege, protege down there in Guyana. And uh, we had just a blessed time uh, there this afternoon. And now to come back and share with you folks tonight, it just fulfills our hearts 
And we're so thankful for that. Well, if you notice, the body of all believers is spoken of here in Ephesians. This whole book of Ephesians is all about God's uh, placement of his church in this, fa- in this old world. We're to uh, uh, stand out from this world. We're to shine as lights in this world. We are the representation of God to a sin-sick world. Someone has said all that, that this world will ever know about God is what they see in us. And you know, that's absolutely true. I would want anybody who walks through the doors of this church to say, wow, there's some people who love the Lord. There's some people who are dedicated to the Lord. And as Brother Andy spoke this morning about faithful service, that's what it's about. Well, in the fifth chapter, we're going to be speaking from chapter one here in a moment, but I wanted to notice a couple of things from chapter five concerning the Lord Jesus and his church. As we come down here uh, to verse 25, we read these words, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. What does that mean? Sanctify, make holy, Make them holy. Make them acceptable as a place where God can meet with his people. And he can be honored because we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's what took place when you were saved, wasn't it? You were sanctified. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What a beautiful picture. It reminds me of, well, quite a few weddings that I uh, conducted in our ministry. And to see that beautiful young lady come down the aisle in her beautiful white gown and come to meet her future uh, uh, husband. And you know, it just struck me that that's kind of what the Lord is speaking about here. You wouldn't want that bride to come with a stained, dirty dress on, would you? That white dress speaks of purity, and it speaks of uh, that which they together have been waiting for. And so we find that it's a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. We have been married to him. So we find that we are God's people. We are also called his body, the body of Christ. And you'll notice that he presents um, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And that we are to be holy and without blemish. That's a beautiful picture of the church. So we find that Jesus made his first announcement that a wonderful new program was going to be initiated following his death and resurrection and return to heaven. His body would be made up of all believers, of all nations. Right here in Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, let's go back a couple chapters to chapter 2 and note what he says there. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, um, uh, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commands and expressed in ordinances, that he might create in him of one man, uh, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Now what's he talking about, the hostility here? He's talking about that old system that the Jewish people lived under until Jesus came. 
And he fulfilled all of the law's requirements so that they no longer had to have a distinction between Jew and Gentile. The Jews looked, them, looked at themselves as far superior to those dirty Gentiles, you know. But Paul's writing to Ephesians. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles, you see. And God doesn't speak to them as if they're somebody lesser than others. But he says, you've been sanctified. You've been purified. And you are prepared for the great God who wants to be with you and in you. So here's the the church of Christ. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus announced the coming of his church, didn't he? As he looked to Peter, and he used his name as a means of understanding uh, what he was telling them. He says, you are, you're Peter. His name means a stone. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, one commentator t- uh, t- suggested that on the other side of the Jordan, where Jesus would resort and go into the area of the of the uh, Galileans, and they too were despised by the Orthodox Jews in Judah. He would go to a place to the north called, it was at the foot of a big mountain called Mount Hermon. And at the bottom of that mountain is a cave. And that cave drops off straight down. And they have tried to find the bottom of that chasm. And so they've taken and put a rope down and just let it go farther and farther. And they have never been able to find the the bottom of that great cave. And so it became known as the gates of hell. Isn't that something? And Jesus was standing there when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So you see, God is going to call out his people. He's going to make them his very own. And he's going to empower them to serve him, to live for him, to be holy on his behalf. Then Jesus told his disciples, just prior to going to the cross, that he was going to then go back to the Heavenly Father. But he said, I'll not leave you orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to abide with you forever. And he will show you all of these things. Well, you know, Jesus' disciples had all kinds of problems because uh, Jesus would tell them things and they didn't get it. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples, I'm going to have to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to be arrested and tried and crucified. And then on the third day, I will rise again. And you know what? They just didn't get it. But when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus had already said, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. And and then he says that the Spirit will cause you to remember the things that I've said. So you see, the Holy Spirit now comes to empower the believers to go forth and serve the Lord and accomplish his purposes, and he gives us the understanding that God desires for us to have. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. So we know that that amazing plan of God, which, by the way, had been held back, had been held in abeyance from all uh, humanity until now, until that time, he now reveals it, that God is going to do a new work. And here in Ephesians, he talks about it, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 3. And here it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the Son of Men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. This mystery, listen to this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So he's 
brought the good news of the gospel to all mankind. And then he's called out those who would believe to be his very own, his church. Now I want you to understand this because as we come back, we're going to look, take up here in chapter 1. All of that was just preliminary. <laughs> Sometimes I, I like to go back and kind of set the stage for what I'm going to speak about. And so we understand that God is calling his church. It says right up there on your monitor, the church is its calling. And we are called by God. Now let's go to chapter 1 and verse 3, where we look at the outline that we have before us. The first thing I want us to notice is that God has called us to be his own. And we find that in verse 1, he says this, Blessed be, excuse me, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Look at that. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want to point out one thing here. In the original text, the word bless, uh, excuse me, the word places is not there. It's just in the heavenlies. In that sphere in which we have been placed when we trusted Christ as Savior. We are placed in the heavenlies. In the realm of the spiritual. It's been opened to us. That's where God dwells, isn't it? In the heavenlies. And so that gives us openness to what God has for us. So we find... These um, things, the first one that we have in our little outline there, you see it for us. Our blessed Lord's blessing. God's blessing upon us is every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And I want you to notice that God is, had de devised this plan for our salvation and for our coming together as a body to receive the blessings of God, and he imparts them to us. Now that uh, he has broken down that wall between Jews and Gentiles, all people can come together under the banner of the cross and come together to establish themselves as the church of God. He calls it a mystery. You notice that? What is a mystery in Scripture? You know, if you read a novel, a mystery novel, you don't know the answer, or the, the uh, uh, outcome until you get to the last page. But praise God, he's given us the answer to this mystery. The mystery was something that was hidden in Christ before has now been revealed. And God chose a wonderful man, Apostle Paul, to reveal this great mystery to us. That he is establishing a new program. Remember, as Jesus sat with his, his, his disciples at the supper, the last supper, before he went to the cross, he took that bread and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said something very significant. This cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood. And what he's saying is through the blood of Christ... We are now established in God in a new covenant. That covenant is comprised of the body of believers who have been washed in the blood, sanctified, set apart unto God, and now we are his dear children. Now it's important for us to understand too that Israel had their blessings. They certainly did. God gave them all kinds of blessings if they would follow him and if they would uh, love him and serve him. That was the condition upon which their blessings were, were uh, established. But they failed the Lord, didn't they? They fell into sin and they got away from the Lord. And so they enjoyed earthly blessings at the hand of the Lord as long as they served him. But our blessings are superior to the blessings that God has afforded to Israel. You see, Israel is God's earthly people. 
They come about as the promise of God to Abraham. And he said to Abraham that I will bless you and make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he was speaking about his greater son, the Lord Jesus. So you see, Israel had a wonderful, special place before God. But you and I today, under this new covenant, bought by his own precious blood, are now his heavenly people. And we are, as verse 1 says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He's been, we've been placed in the heavenlies, that place where we have power with God, that place where we can reach out and speak to God, and he can speak to us through his word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful God we serve. And he's given us heavenly blessings. Now, when I say that, I'm not just talking about what happens after we've died and go to heaven. Those things begin the moment you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And I like to say that when I enter into the doors of this church, I feel like I'm in a little bit of heaven because I'm with God's people. And because we're worshiping our Blessed Lord and Savior. And that's just a, a little taste of what God has given, is a, a preparing for us when we get to heaven. So we see, now as we move on uh, to our next uh, statement in the outline there, our sovereign God's purpose. Why did he do this? In verse 4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, notice that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's his purpose, to make us a holy people. What a wonderful truth that is, that we have been made holy. You know, notice here, as you look up to the first verse, the introduction, the greeting that the Apostle Paul gives to the Ephesian believers. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. You notice that? Now that wasn't just a special cast of people that were apart from everybody else. You know, the ones that were specially um, sanctified, holy, high and above everybody else. Some of our churches round about today like to call their pastor the Domini and the people the laity, as if to suggest that I'm up here on a pedestal and you're down there. But I want to tell you something, dear friends. Our sovereign God saved us that we might be raised up to be one with him and to worship him and to serve him and to learn from him. What a wonderful thing that is. Our church is comprised of all who in the divine wisdom of our Lord chose us before the worlds were formed. Wow. What an amazing thing. Now, I don't understand that. I know that I got saved when I was a little boy, about seven years old. And the Lord uh, came into my heart and life and changed me and I become a child of God. But you know what? My name was on his heart from way back then. And how I can uh, figure all of that out, well, I simply can't. But you know what? I'm not God. He is, and we praise him for that. So, the important thing is that we are made saints. We have been sanctified. That's what the word means, made saints, sanctified. And it also means holy, made holy. Now, I want to tell you something important here, too. We're not made holy because we have anything to offer God. We're not made holy because we do good things. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And how is that? By the washing of red, regeneration and renewing, or in other words, new, bat, uh, new, new birth, through the Holy Spirit. So you see... Our sovereign God's purpose in saving us 
was that we might be sanctified. You know what God's desire is? That one day all, all of those who are his would be gathered around him in one wonderful fellowship. That as it said there in the, fifth, or the third chapter, that we would all become together in one body in Christ. And that's his goal for us. So he is, has sanctified us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 in, his, in Paul's uh, introduction to that uh, church. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both the Lord and ours. Isn't that amazing? You see, all the saints, even the ones in, uh, in, in Byron Center, almost said South Boston, but they're saints too. <laughs> but we find that God has done that for us. I'm so thankful that it is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus imputed to me or put on account in the books of re record in heaven on my behalf. It's not my righteousness, but it is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus accounted to me. What a wonderful salvation. So now we find that as we continue on here, I want to look at verse 5. And it says there, um, and, and by, the way, way, uh, the, by the way, as you look at this, the last two words of verse 4 rightfully belong in verse 5, okay? It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, there, you know, there's so many things here that I would want to get into and spend a lot of time talking to you about, and I just can't. But I want you to understand that what God has done for us is beyond measure, beyond what we can possibly even begin to grasp. For you notice he tells us we were predestined. God was able, in his own wonderful way, to give us this uh, position before we ever, ever breathed a breath, before we were ever able to do anything for ourselves. And I want to tell you something. What that tells me is that salvation is all of God and none of me. Now notice here he said, we are predestined for adoption to himself as sons. Now, this is such a crucial thing that we understand this wonderful work on the part of God himself as he identifies us as his very own children. In love, he did this. Not love like we know. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. The love of God is eternal. The love of God goes to the worst of sinners and saves them. That love of God, dear friends, took a sinner and brought him into his own family. You know, one of the blessed things I see some of the folks in our church do is they adopt little children and raise them up in the fear of the Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. I praise the, God, praise the Lord for this. I want you to understand Jesus did so much more. He made us citizens of heaven. He made us his, his own family. We stand before him complete in the Lord Jesus, adopted into the family of God. We were pilgrims and strangers, but God has made us his sons and daughters. Saints, sons of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus. And so I would have you to just quickly turn back a few pages in your Bible to the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. Romans chapter 8. And look here at verse uh, 14. <clears throat> 
Beginning at verse 14, we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Sons of God. You know, by the way, I'm going to stop right here for a moment. You never read about any of God's people in the Old Testament being called the sons of God. Now, the term is used in the Old Testament, but it's used of the angels. Angels are called sons of God. But when we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels for the sake of coming to he- uh, from heaven to earth to die for our sins. And so because of that, he has elevated us to the position of sons of God. Now the word sons of, that little phrase in the, uh, in the context there speaks about not only our position, but our character. We've taken us and took us, uh, taken us out of this world, called us out unto himself, adopting us into his family. Wow, that's so wonderful, I tell you. It blesses my heart. And so it says here as we continue to read in, in Romans 8, he says, uh, he, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. The name Abba, the word Abba simply means uh, what, we, what a little child might say, Papa, that's our Lord and Savior. And he loves us. He draws us close to himself. I wish we could fully understand the love of God. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of all that God is, heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. But provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Yes, it's true that God oftentimes appoints us to suffering in this whole world. But we do so faithfully, and we do so willingly because we know that we have a wonderful calling. You know, the Lord Jesus himself said this, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. So we just have to face that fact. But bear in mind, in a hateful world, there's one who loves you, who gave himself for you, who drew you to himself, who adopted you into his family and loves you with an eternal love. What a wonderful Savior. And we're talking about his church. And these words in this passage here have to do with what God has done for us because of this. And so we find that we are given all the rights and privileges of sons and heirs of God and all which that incorporates. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, that we are claimed by God. We're chosen in God. We are claimed by God. And as you look at verses 6 and 7 here, it tells us this. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Oh, I could sure preach a whole message on those two verses. What a wonderful truth that is. We've been claimed by God. He has accepted us. His grace accepting us. When we didn't deserve to be accepted, it says there, to the praise of his glorious grace. What is grace? It's God's wonderful love for us revealed in taking us out of this old world, setting us apart unto himself and making us his own. Someone has put it this way. It's God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. But it also means that God is giving us what we don't deserve. You know, if someone has done something wrong, maybe a child, and 
they feel sorry for it afterwards. And mom or dad says, well, we're going to have to punish you. And the child says, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that, and I won't do it again. You know what? Mom or dad's going to say, okay, we won't punish you this time. Don't do it again. That's grace, you see. Now, justice would say, no, you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon in your room or something like that. But you see, that's what God does. He saves us out of this world by his grace. What we never deserved. What do we deserve? Well, we deserve what those outside of Christ will end up having to, uh, to place on them. So we're thankful we don't get what we deserve. But we are the recipients also of his mercy. Someone has said grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And so we find that we are claimed by God. What a marvelous grace it is. Romans 5, 8. I, I bet you could quote this one with me. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that tells me this. When we were sinners, everything abhorrent to God. While we were sinners, we were wretched, we were unlovable, we were ungrateful, and so on and so on. But God loved us while we were in that position. And he reached out to us, and he saved us out of all of that, and brought us to himself. We are his church, his body. That's a wonderful thing. So we are claimed by God. We have been blessed in the beloved. I like what it says there in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Well, let's look back to the last part of verse 6. With which he has blessed us, excuse me, blessed us in the beloved. And the beloved, of course, you notice it's capitalized there. That's a title for the Lord Jesus. He's the beloved one of the Father. And Jesus came to this earth. Because the heavenly father gave his only begotten son, his beloved one, for you and me. So you see, the blessed one, the beloved one, made us beloved as well. We have the same standing before God as does the Lord Jesus. We are the beloved. has blessed us in the beloved. And verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now you'll notice here, his grace redeeming. His grace redeeming. Having been bought back to God from sin. It's interesting that the word redeemed in the original language is a word, it's, I have a hard time with some of my Greek words, but it's agarazzo, somebody calling me at the most inappropriate time. <coughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> One time I was performing a wedding and that went off. <clears throat> so I have to learn to shut off the sound when, I, when I'm up front speaking. <laughs> Where was I? We understand that he has redeemed us. And the Greek word is the word agarazzo. I can even roll my tongue, my R's a little bit. And the point is this. The word agarazzo comes from the Greek word agora, which is the marketplace. And in those days, the marketplace was where they sold slave slaves. And so we find that the word redeemed means having been bought in the marketplace of slavery. And that's what our Lord Jesus did. He came down into this agarazzo, this marketplace of sin and slavery. And he bought us back with his own blood. And he broke the chains of sin and set us free. In another place, the word redemption or redeemed means exagarazzo, which means to buy out of the marketplace. And then in a third place, the word lutru is given, and 
translated as redeemed. And that word means to loose and set free. Isn't that beautiful? To see that we are redeemed by God, taken out of the marketplace of sin and slavery, and made into the, brought into the family of God. And so we find his grace redeeming. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth for every child of God. And so we come to verse 7, and the last part of that verse, we find his grace forgiving. Now, this is a wonderful truth that we need to claim as well here tonight. In verse 7, the last part, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What is a trespass? Well, you've probably seen the sign as you walk along the sidewalk, no trespassing, or maybe says, keep off the grass. (laughs) And as a little child, you might want to step out there just to say you could do it. But I want you to understand something. God put out signposts all along the way in the Old Testament, didn't he? We call it the law. And when those people failed to keep the law, it was a trespass. In other words, they ignored the signs. They had their own will and their own way. We're going to do our own thing. You ever heard that said before? And we're not going to do what God, we're not going to comply. That's trespasses. And so we find that when we come to Christ and we repent of our sin and we turn to him, we are forgiven. Our sins are washed away. In the books of heaven, I've mentioned this before, we have on one side of the ledger our uh, liabilities. The things that we have against us And on the other side of the page, for a lot of people outside of Christ, it's just a blank page because they have nothing for receipts. But here's what happened. When you trusted Christ as Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He's removed our sins from the book of record in heaven to be remembered against us no more. And on the side of the ledger that has our receipts, the righteousness of Christ. The riches of Christ. What does Philippians 3 verse 19, I think it is, say? That we we have all things in Christ through the riches of Christ. What a wonderful truth. So now we come to verse, um, uh, we're going to skip down here to verses 8. Uh, 8 through 12, and just kind of sum this up. In verse 8 it says, and he's talking about his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The purpose of God was to bring us to himself by his grace. I like the word lavished. It just means abundantly poured out upon us. You know what it reminds me of is that day when Jesus was in the household of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And as they were hustling around getting ready for a meal, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And he took out a, she took out a special vial that had a very expensive perfume. The Bible says that she anointed his feet with that and wiped his feet with her hair. I'd have had a hard time doing that, but she must have had nice long locks. Well, I want you to understand. She did that because she understood, but more than anybody else, I think, she understood that Jesus was going to the cross. Another passage tells us that she anointed his feet in preparation for his death. And so you see, when we come to that realization that God has given us these things, we want to praise him because it's been lavished upon us, poured out. And so we find that the conclusion is that, verse 10, it is as a plan for the fullness of, God, uh, of time to unite all things in him Things in heaven and things on earth. Now notice that. 
Not only are we going to be united with Old Testament saints in one body, but we're united with the angels in heaven. Can you imagine when we get to heaven and that great throng of believers from all the ages combined with all the hosts of heaven standing before the throne of God? Wow, what a salvation. And will we not just throughout all the endless ages of eternity praise God for so great a salvation? And I believe, dear friends, he's given us his church for that same purpose, to lift up our songs and praise, to honor him and worship him and be a little bit of heaven here on earth. Well, I have to continue and get through my outline. We come to number three, considering the glory of God. It tells us that he has given us his wisdom and insight, verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Now, I just wanted to point this out because those are two different words and they mean two different things. He poured out his wisdom on us so that we might understand the things of God, so that we might be able to read his word and have insight into it. But the, Beyond wisdom is insight, and that is uh, to realize all that he's done for us. We see the wisdom of God in it, but then we begin to see me and you in the picture. And we think, what wonderful things. That's insight, you see. And verses 9 and 10 says that he's making known his mystery and purpose mystery and purpose now God has to have purpose in what he's doing right and his purpose is to bring all of us to himself let's look at it in verses uh, 8 and 9 making known to us the mystery of his will what's the mystery well it's that new program of God that he would establish his church according to his purpose not mine, his purpose. And according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I want you to understand that before the world began, God established a program. And his program for the ages would come its, uh, would, would run its course in exactly the way he designed it. Nothing in the course of history has caught God by surprise. At exactly that moment in history, when God had established it, it came to pass. Jesus died on the cross on the very day that God had ordained it. I was reading in John chapter 11 about Lazarus. Remember how he raised Lazarus from the dead. And I love this verse where it says, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so he remained in the place where he was for two more days. Yeah. Why did he do that? Didn't he love him very much? No. He loved him beyond measure. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to show, glorify the Father through raising Lazarus from the dead and bringing their, their brother back to them. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so we find that's God's purpose being fulfilled. On another occasion, a man was blind. And God, the Lord Jesus, touched his eyes. He made him go down to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes. And he came back seeing. And nobody could believe this, this man could now see. And it was pointed out that only God could do that. That Jesus had to have come from God. So I want you to understand that the grace of God and the mystery of God would be, would be uh, revealed and played out according to the purpose of the Father and Jesus never stepped outside of the will of his Father. He never spoke a word but that he received it from the Father. He would never take any action 
until the Lord, the Heavenly Father, had prepared all things and the time was right. So this is the mystery and the purpose of God. His plan is to unite all things in him. And this is the first suggestion in Ephesians of that which the Apostle Paul will then expand upon greatly in chapters 2 and 3. And I would urge you to read that. Uh, I would suppose that since we're dealing with a subject of the church, that probably Pastor Chad will delve into that more uh, when he gets back. And by the way, we miss him. I hope he's coming back soon. Well, I see a lady over there. She's probably missing him too. (laughs) But we do miss our pastor. So let me just bring this to a conclusion. God's mystery made known. His purpose revealed is his church, ecclesia, called out once. It incorporates all believers and for the ultimate goal of uniting all things in Christ, as it says here in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of God, of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, dear friends, as we conclude with verse 12, it says this, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now listen, we have a hope, a blessed hope. I spoke with Don and Mary Kuinga about our blessed hope. Their hearts are broken, of course, loss of their son. But they have wonderful hope in the Lord Jesus. It's not a hope so. I think so. Maybe so. The blessed hope is the confidence we have in Christ. That we will appear with him in glory. And so, dear friends, until that day, let us commit ourselves fully to serving God. Brother Andy just laid it out for you this morning. You couldn't get away from it. We want to be faithful as his church, those called out of this old world to serve him. And may we do so until he comes. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this, your word tonight. We thank you for this precious portion that we've been able to look into. How we pray that you would bless it to our hearts and our lives, to your service, as we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks, for your attention tonight to the Word of God. And you are dismissed as we go back into the world and serve Him, okay? <laughs>